0: I am excited to bring the word this morning. Are you excited to hear the word? The truth? Yes. All right. I love it. I love it. There's energy. You never know on a cold day in Michigan what kind of a response you'll get uh, for coming to church, but you made it. You're here. It's warm. And if you're watching at home or if this is a, um, something you're watching that's recorded, uh, welcome as well. Glad you're here. Um, I want to begin a little differently than I normally do. Um, I want to begin by just reading the uh, passage that we're going to cover today in its entirety. And rather than it coming up on the screen, I just want you to just kind of try to dive in and listen to what um, Paul is writing into the church and just kind of hear um, a little bit uh, that way, just a little different this morning. So um, you can even close your eyes if it helps you listen better. But I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. So here it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, may your word today come to life as it does through your Holy Spirit. May May there be a transformation that takes place today as our minds are renewed and we see the truth and the truth sets us free. God, help us to know about our heavenly home. Help us to be excited about our heavenly home. Encourage us as we dive into your word, as we understand what your scripture, what the scriptures say to us. And may we share it with others so that we can be rewarded in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So the title is Our Heavenly Home. You probably get that. We sing a little bit about... Um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, turning our... I love that hymn. Um, I've heard that uh, played many times. I'm sure you, you have before. Um, but as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, all the things of the world, don't we need that right now? Don't we need all the things of the world that, that are bothering us, that are annoying us right now, that just kind of fade away, just kind of just go away right now? Well, let it go away right now. Just for this next 30 minutes, just let it go away and concentrate on what God is trying to say to you. And I pray that as John the Baptist uh, prayed, John the Baptizer said, I must decrease so he can increase. And I pray that you hear that today. So this was an exciting message to prepare for. I'm preaching right through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians 5 and follow along. I'm going to go verse by verse. If you'd like a free Bible, we have those. Those blue Bibles in the chairs are free for you. Take them home. We have plenty. We have some on the back shelves as well, if you like one of those. But if you have your Bible, you can open it, 2 Corinthians 5. I use the English Standard Version. It's a very literal translation, but it's also very readable. So we're in, um, this uh, passage here is really talking about heaven, our heavenly home. And that's an exciting topic. How many of you get excited when you think about heaven? Yeah, I think you should. Especially on a day like today, where it's cold and snowy, and it's winter in Michigan. And it just, you know, it just hit us, didn't it? I mean, like, like a slap across the face, it hit us. I mean, this wind and this cold, and I mean, it was like, just boom, here's the storm. And uh, we need to uh, get excited about something besides that. We need heaven. So, uh, I'm sure over the years, you probably have had questions about heaven. Like, what are you going to do there? Who are you going to see? Um, where will you live? I mean, how many of you, be honest, have a question about heaven? Raise your hand if you've got questions about heaven. All right. Um, I would like to answer those questions for you if you want to fill out your connection card. you got a question, those connection cards, um, especially if you're uh, a guest uh, or newer um, and you haven't filled one of those out, please do that and throw it in the offering plate um, on, the, on those high top blue tables and um, I'll answer those questions for you to my best ability. But I will tell you that a lot of the questions that that um, people have about heaven are answered in a very biblical way in a book that I always recommend called Heaven by Randy Elcorn. Randy Elcorn wrote a great book called Heaven. answers a lot of questions that you might have about heaven. So if you um, would like to order that book, keep it on your bookshelf. That would be a, probably a good idea. But if you just want a quick answer, email me, fill it out on your connection card, and I'll get back to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 answers some questions about heaven. And before I kind of uh, get into it, I want to share with you why the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, why he's uh, I guess qualified, or or why he can speak to um, these um, these give us these answers to heaven. So many of you um, might know that the Apostle Paul used to be called Saul; that was his name. He was a zealous Jew. In the religion of Judaism, he was a strict Pharisee. He dealt with uh, the law as if um, uh, perfectly. He obeyed it. And as a result, he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he persecuted Christians. Anyone who said Jesus was the Messiah, he found a way to get them put in jail or killed. And he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was um, um, stoned to death. Uh, by um, the first martyr. So, Paul, or this, the, uh, Saul, was, was a bad dude. But then he was on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians, and God opened his eyes on the road to Damascus to the truth. And when that happened, Paul then became this zealous Christian, which, I mean, think about that today. What if there was an extreme you know, uh, religious person today that persecutes Christians? You know, there, there's lots of that happening in our world. And what if that person became a Christian and became all out, sold out for Christ? I mean, how would we respond to that? I mean, that would, be, that would be amazing. I mean, of course we would be, like, really skeptical, wouldn't we? I mean, at first. But that's what happened. It's possible. With God, all things are possible. And so Saul becomes Paul, and now he is this amazing Follower of Christ. And not only does he have a revelation on the road to Damascus, not only does he hear the words of Jesus talking to him, but he now, we see in this this book here, 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, he actually has another revelation. And the word revelation is the word apocalypse. He has a, a revealing of who Jesus is. In fact, he sees heaven. He's caught up. The words he used are caught up. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit because... You may or may not know that the the Greek, um, the the New Testament was written in the Greek language. So when Paul wrote it, he used the word harpazo. Harpazo is a word that means to pluck or to be caught up, um, and uh, uh, or even snatched away is another um, way of describing the word harpazo. But then, when the Bible was translated into the Latin, into the Latin from the Greek. They used the word, the Latin word rapturo. And then we got from the English, our English, we transliterated the Latin, and we got the word rapture. And you've probably heard about the rapture, which is involving typically when it's talked about the end times. On Wednesday nights, I teach through the book of Revelation, and, and um, we're going to get to that and we're going to talk about the rapture. And so this um, term Paul uses here is the same term. Paul said, I got raptured. I got, I, I got plucked up. I got, I got snatched away. And I, and I went up to, to, he calls it paradise, and I saw some amazing things. But then he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, I can't tell you what I saw. <laughs> uh, I, I even have a thorn in my flesh to keep me from being conceited. I, I can't say it. And, and so I'm sure there were probably Christians in Paul's day that were like, come on, Paul. Just give us a little. Just, just share with us a little. Just tell us a little bit. And I'm sure he probably did his best Jack Nicholson voice and says, you can't handle the truth, right? You can't handle it. You don't don't even know. So I share that because Paul really, I mean, he had an amazing revelation. So he can speak to heaven. Um, Not only does Paul talk about heaven, but the whole New Testament talks about it. Um, Jesus talks about it in the Gospels. And um, revelation is a great place to um, learn about heaven So we know a lot about heaven from the whole Bible, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5 does tell us some interesting things, specifically about our heavenly home, our heavenly home, which is why we have this title. So let's get into it. Verse 1, for we know, it'll be on the screen here, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago in chapter four, Paul called, or actually last week, Paul called our bodies, our earthly bodies, jars of clay. Last week's message, treasure in jars of clay. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is actually being taken all over the world in these jars of clay, these fragile, temporary, easily broken bodies. But Paul says that's okay because the power is not in our body. It's in the gospel. It's in the treasure. So um, building on that truth, he now calls our body, in the temporary sense, a tent. The word is also translated tabernacle. And that should immediately take us to when I taught you. We went all the way through the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, the tabernacle was built by Moses according to God's plan. And the tabernacle is where God would dwell. So the Israelites would, would, would go through the desert as they wandered through the desert, and they would set up the tabernacle, they would tear it down, set it up, tear it down, set it up, everywhere they went. But they knew God was there. That's where God dwelled, in the Holy of Holies, in the back part of that tabernacle, that tent, you know, above the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, between the two cherubim. That's where God was. Only the high priest could go behind there once A year, on the Day of Atonement, and so that's where God dwells. And um, that was temporary, though. Eventually, they would build a a structure, a building, a permanent place, a temple. By King King Solomon would do that. Um, And even though, even that was temporary. I know that the Jewish people have a hard time with that because they're they're fixated on the building, the temple, and they really want to rebuild their temple. But it can't right now because it's owned by the Muslims, the Dome of the Rock. But um, they really want to rebuild it. But Stephen, the martyr, that first martyr, he says these words in Acts chapter 7, God the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Paul says those same words in Acts. And that's why here he calls it our earthly home that's going to be destroyed. And it's okay because it's temporary. It's temporary. We have another home that's waiting for us. And that home is not made with hands. We don't make it. It's made by God. And it's temporary. It's, it's, um, our, our heavenly home is not temporary. It's eternal. Not only does Paul use this figurative language that the body is the temple, but Jesus also did. If you recall the times where Jesus talked about the temple... In fact, Jesus went into the temple a couple times and got a little angry. And you say, well, wait a minute. You, Jesus never sinned. You, you can't get angry. Um, that's, that's a sin. No, it's not. It's what you do in your anger that's a sin. And he did something that was righteous. Um, he got mad at them because they had turned God's house into a place to make money instead of a place of prayer, a place to seek God. And in John 2, uh, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, because he had really turned some tables over, and he had gotten um, some people kind of, uh, you know, everybody was like, what's going on here? What, this guy just went crazy on this, in this place. And um, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, the Jewish people said, well, wait a minute, that's impossible. It took us 46 years to build the temple, and you're going to raise it back up in three days? But he was speaking figuratively because he was talking about his body. He knew that his resurrected body was coming soon. And it's, if, you, if you look into Mark's Gospel, Jesus was on trial at the end of his earthly life. And witnesses declared that Jesus said this, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, but in three days I will build another not made with hands. So Jesus is talking figuratively. The temple was, of course, in the Jewish mind, a place where God dwells. God's presence is there. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's sort of cryptically saying to them, I am God. I'm the Son of God. Notice that in the Gospels when you read them. You realize that Jesus never really comes out and says, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. It's always speaking figuratively. It's always speaking with parables until they're ready to really hear it. So he proves, of course, When they crucify him, when he's killed, that he comes back three days later, and how does he come back? Does he come back in the same body? No, he comes back in a resurrected body. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, and he comes back in a resurrected body, which is his heavenly home. And I think that's very important that we understand that, that the resurrected body is the heavenly home. You need to understand that, and you need to see that in Scripture. Unfortunately, there are some passages, I think, that get misunderstood, and so we have this different view of what our heavenly home will be like, and I want to share with you one of those passages is John 14. John 14, verses 2 and 3, one of the last things that Jesus explains to his disciples, and you probably heard these words before, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Or maybe your translation of your Bible says, in my Father's house are many mansions. How many of you have heard these words before? I mean, if you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard them there. And Jesus goes on to say, I'm going there to to prepare a place for you. Well, the word mansion, boy, that's confusing for us Americans because we live in a place of great wealth. Let's just go for a drive down Jefferson together later on this afternoon, and what will we see? Mansions everywhere. Thousands and thousands of square foot. Plenty of rooms. And so when when we hear... Right, in our mind, we hear, "Oh, in, in God's house are many mansions, and, and I got a mansion that's waiting for me. i got a 10,000-square-foot luxurious home in heaven that's waiting for me. Lord knows I ain't going to get it here. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's not what Jesus is saying here in this passage. The context of John 14 teaches us that Jesus is simply reassuring Christians, His disciples that someday they will be in heaven with him, like him. That they will also have a resurrected body, which is their heavenly home. The language is, houses have rooms, but heaven has bodies, resurrected bodies. That's our home, that's our room, that's our mansion. Besides, here's proof why you don't even need that. You don't need a mansion, a building in in heaven. You don't need a room. Number one, you won't even have any material belongings. Right? I mean, you see a a hearse drive down the road? There's not a U-Haul attached behind it. It's an old joke, right? You can't take anything with you. You don't need protection. Think about the things that we have, why we have a home. You don't need protection from the weather, There is no sun or moon in the new heaven, in the new earth. God is the light, and the light's always on. So you don't need that, and you don't need a bed to sleep in because you have a resurrected body, and uh, we go to sleep so that we can get rest and recovery. Our body rebuilds itself. You don't need to do that. Your body's resurrected. It's eternal. It's perfect. It's complete. So therefore, Our home is our resurrected body. Hope you see that truth. So what do we learn in verse 1 alone? Our earthly home lasts a short time. Our heavenly home lasts forever. is eternal. Our heavenly home is not made with hands. And our heavenly home is much better than our earthly home. Without a doubt, our heavenly home is better than our current home. Paul says three times in this passage, verse 2, For in this tent we groan. Anybody groan in this morning when we get out of bed? Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling? Verse 4, we groan being burdened in this body. Verse 8, we'd rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord because our heavenly home is much better than our earthly home. Let's dial into verse 4 for a second. For while we are still in this tent, Paul says we groan being burdened. But then he says, not that we would be unclothed. But he says, but that we would be Further clothed, so that what's mortal can be swallowed up by life. And here's the truth. Here's what Paul's sort of illustrating that our earthly home, this body that we have, it's flawed and it's incomplete. But our heavenly home will be perfect and complete. And in 1 Corinthians 15, if you would put that on your homework uh, for today, um, go home later. Uh, or maybe tomorrow you do this, but read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Not 2 Corinthians, but we're in 2 Corinthians, but read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because you'll see all about the resurrected body. And I just want to point out a couple verses here. Um, Verse 40, I think I have for you on the screen. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. They're different. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. And as you'll read... um, A few more verses a little bit later on, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not going to sleep. It means we're not going to just die and that's it. We're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet. The trumpet sounds, the dead is raised imperishable. We're all changed. The perishable perishable body we have must put on the imperishable. The mortal must put on the immortality. That's so good, isn't it? That's that's such a great truth, isn't it? That that we're going to have a a glorified, resurrected body—that's our future home, perfect, not lacking a thing. I don't know a person that looks in the mirror and says, "Perfect." Do you? No, that's why the plastic surgeons are rich, because people look in the mirror and they're like, "Oh, no, I want to change that. I want to change this, change that." They want bodybuilders look. I mean, they're 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 fit. I mean, they're like. Muscles everywhere, bulging. They look in the... I can't even pose like them. I don't even know how they do that. (laughs) But they're like, it's not good enough. I can do better. We're never satisfied with this body, are we? And we can't. Because it's not ever going to happen in this body. It's never going to be perfect. But with God, all things are possible. And our heavenly body, not made with hands, will be perfect. Isn't that good news? Shouldn't you be encouraged by that, that someday your resurrected body will be perfect? That's so exciting, I think. Now, how can we be assured? And in some cases, how can we be reassured that we're going to get this resurrected body, that we're going to get there someday? How do we know for sure that we're going to have it? Well, Paul says in verse 5, here's your assurance. you want assurance? Paul gives it to you. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a, say it, church, guarantee. Guarantee. I love guarantees. Right? I mean, we love it, don't we? Money back guarantee. You know, we like those. God has so graciously determined to live in us right now. Chose to dwell in our earthly bodies until we receive our more perfect, our better heavenly bodies. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for a future purchase. Um, in fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that you're God's temple? Oh, there it is. There's that language again. You are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. Don't you know that, Paul says? And then one of my favorites is in uh, a few chapters later, he's talking about the problem with sexual immorality. And he says in verse 19, Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. In fact, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Our earthly bodies are actual temples of the living God. Individually, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, God is dwelling in you. But collectively, we make up one big temple, which we call the church. The body of Christ is what it's called. In fact, Peter, I like what Peter says. Um, Peter writes about it as well. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He says, "As you come to him, you're a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, you're chosen and precious. You yourselves, church, are like living stones. You're being built up into a spiritual house." He says, "You're a holy priesthood. You offer spe- uh, sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. Paul calls us, we're, we're living sacrifices, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the light. And so Paul or Peter tells us, kind of gives us a different kind of illustration, but it's still the same concept here that we're building ourselves up. The church is building up into a house for God. And of course, Paul says this should be. Very encouraging to us. Be of good courage, he says. Be cheerful. Rejoice. Even if your earthly body has some aches and pains, rejoice, he tells us. In fact, he says in verse 7, one of the verses we like to quote a lot, actually, we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so many believe it's a blind faith. I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't think it's a blind faith at all that we walk by. Our our eyes can see what God has done in our own lives. If you're a new creation in Christ, which we'll see that verse next week, if you're a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, you know, you see it. You see it in other people. You know people that their lives have been completely transformed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's not walking by blind faith. We're walking by faith. We're, We're saying, that we're trusting God because we know what He can do, and we know what He's done in our own lives. So we walk. But I'll be honest, you know, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> sometimes we have days where we're like, "Come on, man, I, I need, to- I just, I, I just want to know what's going to happen six months from now. Like right now, it's not looking good, Lord. <laughs> Anybody there? You know, it's like, man, what's going to happen? I mean, when am I going to see a little light here? And what does God tell us? Hey, listen. I got manna for you for today. That's it. What does Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, each day has enough trouble on its own. Worry about, don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today. And probably the most comforting thing he can tell us is, seek first God, and everything else falls into place. Just seek God first. Just trust in him. And how many times have we done that? I I feel like I do that daily, like, I mean, this morning, just different circumstances happening, hectic morning, and, I, and I'm just in the shower and I'm just praying. Just, Lord, I, I just, I give it up to you. I just, it's out of my control. Lord, I trust you. I can't uh, figure this all out, but you can, and you've already got to figure it out, and I just need to walk one, one step at a time and trust you. Amen? That's uh, got to be our daily prayer. So we're encouraged to live by faith, not by sight. But eventually we're going to be home with the Lord, and we'll see everything clearly. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 9, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, to glorify God. That's our goal always in this life and the next, to to please Him, to glorify God. And specifically, Paul's talking about our body. Now, I'm a believer that we uh, uh, all... uh, um, as a, as a person, we have four dimensions of who we are. We have a mind, we have a body, we have emotions, and we have a spirit. And I, and I know that um, all of those are interwoven, aren't they? They're, they all affect one another. You know, if you want a healthy body, um, you really need a healthy mind as well. You need healthy emotions. You need a healthy purpose. And so Um, I believe that it pleases God when we do all of those things. When we we take care of all of our dimensions. And that means when we eat well and we exercise regularly and we manage our emotions and we renew our mind and we live with purpose. I think all of those things please God. And And we truly do treat the temple of the Holy Spirit well when we do those things. And we don't abuse it. And I know many of us, we struggle with one thing, and I think it's the, kind of the key, really, if you want to take care of your body and glorify God with your body, it comes down to this, self-discipline. It comes down to discipline. And a lot of us say, well, I, I, we come up with a lot of excuses, don't we? You know, We want to fit into that dress, right? We want to get that car, that new car. We want to graduate. We want to do better. But it takes discipline, doesn't it? And if you've done it before, you know. Yeah, I was disciplined. I mean, when I was pastoring this church, I really wanted to complete my my master's and and it's a long, lengthy process. And it took years. But I was disciplined and diligent and finally it happened. I firmly believe God's word when he says no temptation can overtake you. I will always provide a way, he says. And I believe God gives us the power to, to, um, he, he doesn't give us a, a, a spirit of timidity, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy. He doesn't give you a spirit of shyness, of, of weakness, but he gives you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, self-control. You can do this. You can be the 9% that actually completes the New Year's resolutions that you make. You can do it. Because with God, all things are possible. And if what your goal is, is to, is to glorify God with your body, if your goal is this year that I'm going to lose 10 pounds, because that's going to honor God, that's gonna, I'm going to take care of my body, I'm going to be better. If your goal is to lower your cholesterol, that's fantastic. If your goal is to get more sleep, if your goal is to you know, get a better job, do whatever it is, and you're doing it to glorify God, amen, praise God, he's going to help you do that. And you should surround yourself with people that will encourage you to do it. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 9. Whatever, whatever, whether we're home or away, our aim is to please God. Last verse, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Does that scare anybody? Whenever I say the word judgment, that sometimes scares people. You know, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Probably should add 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to your reading homework. Uh, so two chapters in 1 Corinthians 3 and 15, they kind of um, help understand what this passage, um, these passages and these verses are talking about. Paul is talking about the, the um, judgment seat of Christ here, and he, he does go into detail in 1 Corinthians 3 about it. And I don't have time to unpack it all, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Um, the judgment seat. The word "seat" is a Greek word, "bema," b-e-m-a, actually means throne. So the judgment throne, if you will. Um, I always find it interesting that uh, they make a toilet seat with the brand Bemis, um, and since we call the toilet the throne, uh, I assume there was a correlation there. Um, sorry for the potty humor in church, um, but uh, um, I'll stay away from that in the future. This judgment bima of Christ, this judgment seat, if you will, of Christ, is different than the great white throne judgment that we see in Revelation 20. So you know, so you're aware. There's two two different judgments here. One is for Christians, one is for non-Christians. In Revelation 20, when you see that and you read that, you realize that is not for Christians. That is for those that are not written in the book of life. Those that have rejected Christ, that have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so um, they will then, of course, be thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. But the judgment seat of Christ that we see here in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that has everything to do with our works on earth as Christians. And I don't know about you, but I've long wondered, like, we get rewards for what we do. And, and so, so many times we, we always differentiate, you know, so listen, you're not saved by works. There's, so no man can boast. No one's in heaven boasting about how they got there. It doesn't work like that. Okay? We do things for Christ because we are saved by Christ. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. No man, uh, no works, so no one can boast. So um, that's not what I'm talking about here. But your works matter. Because of the rewards that Paul says you will receive now how many of you ever wondered whoa what are the rewards like I don't get it like I'm going to get to heaven I'm going to be in my heavenly home, this resurrected body right and you're going to be so excited and, and and you know we can't even get into who you're going to see there and all of that and that'll maybe come later but um, well what 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 are we what are we going to do you know what 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 kind of reward like I don't I don't can't quite grasp that right I mean I think I'll get a new fishing pole but that's just probably not even (laughs) right because there's no material things there so like what is the reward and I often wondered that and I thought to myself there's got to be a way to understand what Paul's talking about here so I I read first Corinthians 3 the whole chapter and I studied it using really good hermeneutics. We talked about that on Wednesday night. What's hermeneutics? It's the way you interpret the Bible. You, you, you have some rules in how you interpret the Bible, and you interpret it literally, unless it tells you otherwise, and in context. Um, and then you pray the Holy Spirit reveals the truth and makes it clear. And so I was doing that, trying to understand what are these rewards. And in context, I have the answer. Would you like to hear it? Okay. Just check in. If somebody nodded off, just tap him on. Rewards in heaven. He's going to talk about it. The reward that Paul is talking about, that we receive based on our works, is that other people will be in heaven because of our works. When you get to 1 Corinthians 3, you see that Paul says... Each will receive his wages, his reward, according to his labor. And that follows him right after he said, I planted, Apollos watered, God makes it grow. The work we do is the work of sharing the gospel, of inviting people into heaven. Hey, you want to go to heaven? You've got to have a heavenly home. You've got to have a resurrected body. How do you get that? Well, let me tell you. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Let's talk about that we're all sinners and we fall short of God's glory and that we need forgiveness and it only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the gospel. Some of you need to come to step one class. I'm just saying, all right? It happened today, um, but we'll do it again. But you've got to come to that and you've got to hear about the gospel and understand the gospel. And the reward is that when we share the gospel with others, that they go to heaven. That's the reward think about that Paul's goal in life was that every single day and I, and I just I can't get this out of my head because now as I'm out in the community and I'm and I and sometimes I go to a different store that I've never been to before or something like that or I'm just kind of out and just and I'm thinking to myself maybe that person needs to know about heaven like this is what Paul did like he was like hey maybe maybe they maybe they're one answer away, or maybe they're one step away from, from becoming a Christian. And they just need someone to be bold enough to share their story and his story and listen. It's just, I get excited about it. we gotta, we got to be sharing our story out in the community and, and his story. And that's what Paul did. That was, his, that was his goal because he understood why. It's the reward. How many people will be in heaven Because of your good works. Think about that. How many people will you see up there and they will be excited to see you because you were part of the reason they're there? So let's review what we've learned from these 10 verses. Our earthly home lasts a short time. Our heavenly home lasts forever. Our earthly home is not made with hands. Uh, Excuse me, our heavenly home. Our heavenly home is much better than our earthly home. Our earthly home is lacking. Our heavenly home is complete. Our heavenly home is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit living in us now. We are encouraged to live by faith, not by sight. But when we're home with the Lord, we'll see everything clearly. Our goal now and forever is to please God with our body. And we will be judged by Jesus for our works, but it's not a judge to keep, uh, judgment to keep us from heaven, it's a judgment to keep or to point out those that will be in heaven because of us. I can only imagine. Can you? Isn't that an amazing thought? So what do you do with a message like this? How do you respond to it? How do you respond to it? a few ways that I think you can respond to a message like this. One is that you would surrender your life to the Lord if you've never done that before. Surrender. And if you do that, then Life of Purpose is going to celebrate in heaven because that's our reward. You are the reward. We'll be excited together. Hey, they're there. Because January 14th, 2024, they surrendered their life to the Lord. We're all excited. We're all celebrating. Everybody at Life of Purpose is excited, and we get that reward. That's one way to respond. Number two is you could honor God with your body. I mean, Jesus paid the highest price for your body. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now I've said this before, um, one of the um, biggest battles, every man's battle, the book that's written um, is for men, it's lust. And one of the verses that is in that book that helps us battle that, that issue that many of us have, is 1 Corinthians 6.19. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you should glorify God with your body? That That is permanently stuck in my head. That's transformed my thinking. That, that you cannot, or I should not do that because God has purchased this body and then I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I should honor God with my body. That's important. So honor God. And thirdly, be encouraged by your heavenly home. Aren't you encouraged by what you're, what, what, what's ahead of you? I mean, you should be excited about that. Your reservation is guaranteed. That's a wonderful thing. Your resurrected body is going to be perfect and complete. Nothing, nothing could be could be made by hands, but only God can do it. And I'm sure there's other ways to respond, but those are those are some ways. I can only imagine what God will do uh, with a message like this to get us excited about heaven. I pray you'll respond to it. I pray you'll think about it. I pray you'll read those verses in the scriptures, and and, um, hopefully we'll be touching on more things of heaven, because heaven's an exciting topic, isn't it? Will our team come up and we'll sing our final song, Will You Pray With Me? And um, if this is a a time where maybe you want to respond to God by coming forward and um, spending some time in prayer, we have a prayer team that people will be happy to pray with you, or you can just come up to the steps and you can pray by yourself, it's up to you. Um, But this is a time to do that during this final song. Um, You can pray where you're at. You can respond by filling out a connection card as well. And um, maybe you have some questions or some prayers that you need. So let's let's pray now. Father, thank you for your will um, to be done today. Thank you for your your word that pierces our heart. And um, it gets down into our business. And God, I thank you for the revealing to us today our heavenly home. I'm excited someday to, to have that home, to have that resurrected body. But till then, Lord, we glorify you in all we do. And, and I pray, Father, that if there's someone here today that really needs prayer, that they'll come forward. They'll ask for it. Maybe after service, they'll ask the prayer team to pray for them. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here that that just needs reassurance that your spirit is dwelling in them, Lord, I pray you'll give it to them. I pray that you'll make it known to them. And I pray, Father, that we would grow up in the Lord, that we would continue and make it a point to do all those things that are going to help us, help us to please you mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful day. In Jesus' name.